looking at verses 1 through 14. Today our focus will be 12 through 14. Let us read this, the Word of God, and uh, ask Him to help us. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Who or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake. It, is, it was written because the plowman ought to plow in the hope and the thresher to thresh in the hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endured all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have the sh- their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Father, I ask that you would teach us now that our hearts would be open to you. Father, the clarity of our brother Paul and the power of your spirit would be seen to each of us here. And that, Father, we would rejoice in these amazing things. Father, it is to you, it is to you alone that we are here. Father, may we rejoice at this time. Thank you, my King, for your word. Thank you for this body of believers. And, Father, thank you for sealing us. Father, thank you for the things you will do through us and for us. Father, may we rejoice in that. To you and you alone, my Father. In Christ's name, amen. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in a review of this because most of you have been through all of this. But basically, there shouldn't be a chapter delineation between chapter 8 and chapter 10. Okay, He gives you a principle in chapter 8. He illustrates it in chapter 9 and chapter 10. Part of that illustration is his own personal life, and part of that illustration is the nation of Israel. Okay, So I share that with you because the principle we've already looked at, and the principle is, is that I can have knowledge, but without love it is useless. As a child of God, any ch- child who has come into the kingdom of uh, Jesus Christ, who is born again, who is saved, the term that you want to bestow upon it is now free. All right, I am free of a lot of things. 
All right, and yet there is boundaries of my freedom. And there are things that God has told us that we can't do. Thou shall not is pretty much easily to figure out. All right, but there are what you and I deal with on a daily basis are gray areas. How will this affect? Uh, the Bible doesn't speak specifically, don't do this and don't do that. Or do this and don't do that. Okay, so Paul's already dealt with early in this book that, you know, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And the key is, I shall not be mastered by anything. Why? Because I have but one master, and that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. So he steps into this text in chapter 9, and the first thing he starts out with is his credentials. Am I an apostle? And so he defined it. He defined it by a question. Have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay. And so the office, the, the, the term, technical term for apostle, is the office is a person who has seen the resurrected Christ. All right, and but then he def- proved that. How can I prove that? Are you not the seal? Look at your lives and tell me that I was not a vessel used by God. All right, so he says, as an apostle, okay, the illustration is, as an apostle, am I deserved of pay? Am I deserved? Do I have a right? To ask you to support my ministry. That's what he's saying to the church in Corinth. All right? And that was the analogy he gave in verses 7 through 11. Okay? So his analogy is, is he, he uses human understanding, but then he uses God's word. Because, see, we can take human understanding and say, well, but that would be the philosophy and wisdom of man. Okay? That's the way we are. Why? If it's uncomfortable to me, I'll blame somebody else. Alright? But he says also, is it not written in the Word of God? And he quotes a text out of Deuteronomy 25 that says, You shall not muzzle the ox. And everybody says, Well, but you understand that that's dealing with agriculture. No, it isn't. You haven't read chapter 25. It's dealing with social relationships. Okay? And the illustration given in Deuteronomy 25 is muzzling the ox. It means that if this thing is going to work, sweat, strain to do these things, then he is deserved to reap of the harvest. And then in verse 10 he says, uh, is he speaking for us? Yes. Why? If we are a plowman, if I plow, if I'm out busting up the ground, isn't the reason that I'm busting it up so I have a hope in what this busted up ground is going to, to, to give uh, and also sharing of the crops. Okay? And he concluded it with this thought. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much? Okay? Is it too much that we reap material things? Now, what he did... And just what I gave you in those first 11 verses is he illustrated very clearly that the church in Corinth should have helped him. He had the right, he had the freedom, he had the liberty in Christ to ask for financial gain. Okay, now, the Apostle Paul in Corinth was working with his hands. He was a, a, a tanner of hides. He sewed hides together. Uh, some of your translations you'll read, it'll say he was a tent maker. But it literally, literally means someone who works with skins, animal skins. Okay? He did that, but he also had some financial backing when he went into Corinth. Did you know that? Did you know that there was a group of churches who was, gave him money so he could take the gospel into Athens and to Corinth. 
primarily Corinth because he was a very short time in Athens, but he spent 18 months in Corinth. Do you know who it was? Does anybody know where he got the money from to go to, to take the gospel? The Macedonians. The Macedonians. If you take the Greek peninsula, the lower half is Achaia, the northern half is Macedonia, and it's literally the underbelly of Europe. Macedonia exists today. There's a country of Macedonia. Uh, during the Kosovo problem, they had a peace meeting in a city called Thessaloniki. You know that city. You call it Thessalonica. Okay. Some will pronounce it Saloniki. Same place. And it is Macedonia. So in the Macedonian churches, you had the Bereans. You know them, right? They were noble for they searched the scriptures. You had the church of Philippi. But you also had the church in Thessalonica. Alright? I want to show you guys something. Okay? This is a very crucial text for us today. For you and I. Alright? I want you to understand something. This text is very difficult for me to teach. Okay? In light of the doors that are opened in Russia, in light of our financial position, the meeting that we had a week ago, this text is hard for me to teach. Because I don't want you to think that I'm taking this text to try to badger you into something. All right? You who've been with us for a while know that this is just where we're at. All right? I would like... I didn't plan this. All right? Which tells me something even greater. God is speaking to Cast Rock Baptist Church. All right? 1 Corinthians is written for your personal holiness. All right? Your relationship with God... Right? How do you look before God? How are you willing before God? Right? Second Corinthians is your ministry. You have to have the first one right before you can do the second one right. A number of you have taken the Roman study. Right? right? And we've moved into part four and it starts out with that grand text that says what? Present your bodies... As a living sacrifice. Alright? To who? Then what will happen? What will happen after you present it? Come on guys, you guys are taking it. Who do you present it to after you get done on the altar? Shame on you. No, you present it to the church. Here I am, church. Why? You can't present yourself to the... Church, until you have presented yourself where? To God. Why? Because if I present myself to God, how am I going to do it? I will be transformed. How? My mind, right? I won't be pressed into the mold of the world, but my mind will be renewed by the Word of God. And this is my act of worship, right? If I have done that, what happens next? I will know the perfect will of God. Right? Right? Listen, this is the perfect will of God. Let me explain something to you. We talk about the lands of Russia as missions. Right? These are our missions. You've missed that. We've missed that completely. 
What we're doing in Russia is what we've been called to do. It should be first priority. First priority. Why? Making disciples. Making disciples is our first priority. Where? To every ethnos. Every nation. We should be making disciples. So I want you to look at the ministry. I want you to look at the ministry. What is it your ministerial work is about? Turn to the book of ministries, 2 Corinthians, but I want you to go to chapter 8. Okay? Now he's writing the Corinthians churches, right? But I want you to keep in mind the argument that he's laying out in 9. The illustration of his very own life that he did not exercise a right as a Christian, as an apostle, that he had the, had the ability to exercise. But look what he says in chapter 8, verse 1. Now, brethren, okay, take that verse right there and say, Now, brethren, who's he writing to? He's talking to the Corinthian church. We wish to make known to you the grace of God. Okay, do you know what the grace of God is? The unmerited favor of God. He says, I want you, Corinthians, to know the unmerited favor. Let me explain to you the grace of God. Watch what he says. Which, was, which has been given where? In the churches of Macedonia. How did the grace of God look, is what he's saying. Let me tell you what the grace of God looked like. In the churches of Macedonia. Because, see, the Greeks kind of had this thing. It's like in America, we have the north and the south. You know, and every once in a while, the south still thinks they're going to win. But, eh, we won't go there. All right, but I, the war's over, dude. <laughs> How can you win if we're, it's done? Anyway, Mas, Macedonia and Achaia had the same mindset. It were, they were all Greek. But one thought they were better than the other. You know, we've got Athens. Well, we've got the Macedonians. Anyway, so there was always this petty rivalry. Here's what he did. Look what he says. I want to show you about the grace of the Macedonians. All right, now look what he says in verse 2. That in great ordeal of affliction. Stop right there. Do you understand that verse? The church in Thessalonica was so persecuted that somebody had come into the church and said that they were in the day of the Lord. That would be the wrath of Jesus Christ in his second coming. Okay, so when he says, and when he says, in their great affliction, the ordeal of their affliction, these people believed that this person who said you are in the day of the Lord, that is how bad their affliction was. Okay, that's serious. That's serious stuff. Okay, so he says they were in that, and then look what happened out of their affliction. There was an abundance of joy. An abundance of joy. Now remember what I'm looking at. I want to explain to you people in Corinth the grace of God. In all of this suffering, there is an abundance of joy. Hmm. How can you have abundance of joy? And then he makes this statement. And their deep poverty. All right. Wow. I'm losing joy here. I'm not figuring out how you can have that much tribulation, that much affliction literally means to be punched. I'm being punched and I'm broke. (laughs) All right? And I have an abundance of joy. You know what we say today? I believe you're in need of professional help. Right? Okay. Look what he says. Why? Their deep poverty did what? 
it overflowed in the the wealth of their liberality. Okay, it literally means the freedom of their wealth. Well, how can you have wealth if if you're in poverty? Look what it says. I testify. Okay, I I want you to understand this. I testify that according to their ability. All right, according to their ability, you understand what that means? How they have the ability to give. All right, deep poverty, according to their ability and above, beyond their ability, what? They gave of their own accord. Okay, basically what you happen, you have a people here in the Macedonian church. Have you ever thought about this? I want you to grab this. This just hit me, and I got to be honest with you, it hit me months ago because that's when God started revealing this to me. Are you thrilled with your spiritual reality? The people in the Macedonian churches were thrilled with the realization of Christ. They were so blessed by what their ministers of God had given them that it consumed them. I mean, it's almost like they were just so happy in their Christian life. It thrilled them, this reality. And out of their deep poverty, out of their horrible afflictions, what did they do? They gave liberally. Let's read this on. Look what verse 4 says. Okay, Now remember, Paul didn't ask the Macedonian churches for money. Why did they do it? They had an abundance of joy. And in that abundance of joy, what did they do? They not no, they did more than give. They give more than what they even had. Okay? They pooled their resources. They made a coalition of churches. Brought it all together, stabilized in the foundation of truth, and gave to a mission that was before them. (laughs) I don't know. Okay? He says, I'm a witness that they gave beyond the ability. They gave, look, they gave beyond their power. Okay? How did they give beyond their power? I mean, the minute thing I read that, the first time I read that, I thought... They went to the ATM and got money out on their credit cards. Right? And is that what you think? If I gave more than what I have, then I took a loan? Okay? No. They gave beyond their power, their abilities. Why? They can't take credit for it. Who did it? God threw them. Why? Because these people were standing in an abundance of Yahoo! I'm a child of the King! I this world. You can't hurt me. The things of this world are just so strangely dim. Alright? That's the life that these churches were living. Alright? They were way beyond what they had. Way beyond what uh, their budgets allowed. Okay? They gave what they didn't even have. They gave what they couldn't replace. Look what it says in verse 4. Begging us. You know what it means there when he says this? Be- Let me just read you the text. Begging us was much urging for favor of participation. Stop right there. What happened is, 
There's an implication there that the Apostle Paul saw what they were willing to give him, and he says, oh my gosh, you, you can't give that much. With everything that's going on, I mean, you've got to keep the lights on, your sound system is in bad shape, you've got this going on, you've got persecution on the outside, you've got goofy teachings floating around. You can't afford to give that much. And the, the Apostle Paul is basically saying, I can't take this from you. But they did what? They begged him that they could do what? Be a part of it. They could be a part of it. Urging for the favor of participation where? In the support of the saints. Okay? I can't take that. I can't receive that. It's all you have. There's a spirit in the Macedonian church. There was a, an attitude, if you want to call it. Where did that come from? From God. Look at the end of verse 5. It was the will of the Lord. This is the will of the Lord. End of verse 5. Don't look at the first part of verse 5. I'm going to deal with that in a minute. It was the end of the ver- verse there. Why? God wanted the gospel to go where? To all nations. To everybody. And it takes money. And God understood it. And God says, but I have raised up the bride of Christ to do these things. And he says, it is the will of God. Let me ask you a question. See, when I went through this, I'm going to give you the questions that I went through. All right? How do you think God wills that we give? How do you think He wills that we live? Is it a tithe? How does He... Huh? Way beyond. We would, I would call it generous. Would you call God wants us to be generous in our giving? Yeah, I mean, I, myself, I believe that the tithe is where you start. Okay? Anything below the tithe, well, Stephen Olfer says you're stealing from God. He says, but don't worry, he has video. <laughs> I remember him saying that. And I thought, whoo, <laughs> you can say that. You're short and Scottish or <laughs> Welsh. All right. How do you think God wills that the church is to give to someone? I just wrote down here probably abundantly. Right? Liberally, freely, more than I have. How do I do that? How do I do that? Let me show you how you do it. First of verse 5. And this not as we had expected. All right, They wanted to be a part of it. They gave us more than we expected. And here's what they said they did. But they did what? What did they do first? To where? To the Lord. Gave themselves to the Lord. Okay, you know what that means? What did they withhold? They said that my car is the Lord's, my job is the Lord's, uh, my dog is the Lord's, and he can keep him. And, um, <laughs> you know, and the cat, I wish you would hurry. Um, have you ever thought about that? If you're a parent today, what would you do with your kids? Okay, that's easy for us to sit here and do this today. But when the first of the month or the middle of the month bills comes in, who do you give to? 
the Lord's been watching my satellite TV too much. Uh, the churches in Macedonia who were afflicted and poor understood this reality, and this is where the abundance of their joy came from. We first and foremost give ourselves unto the Lord. And out of that, they give. Okay? Why? If I give myself to the Lord, then I am pursuing His will. And God, let me, think, let me share with you some alwayses. It's always God's will we be generous. It's always His will. Please understand that. Okay? Jesus said, Come, follow me. Right? You want to be my disciple? Come, follow me. Look at it. Go to the Gospel of John and watch how many times. Come follow me. Come follow me. Let the dead bury the dead. Let the, 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 the. Come follow me. Okay, let me ask you a question. Who is the greatest example of giving that has ever been on this planet? Christ. So let me ask you a question. How would you spot a child of God? All right, yeah. They're going to be the most liberal, generous, generous givers. Why? Knowledge and love. I am to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what else? Okay. How much do you withhold from yourself? Okay. Am I generous to myself? See how this works? And he says, out of this... Now, now, in this text, he's talking about ministry. How do you know ministry? And he's comparing the Corinthian church to the Macedonians. Okay, God is our Savior. He gave an unspeakable gift. Would you say that it was generous? How much did God give? Let me, let me you know, everybody, that gets mind-boggling. I wrote that and I thought, man, that's kind of a stupid question. Let me ask you this way. How much grace did God give you? How much mercy did God give you? Let me try it this direction. How much of an inheritance do you have as a child of God? Okay. So when I look at that and I think about that, I can say pretty much emphatically that God knows only one way to give. Generously. All right. There's an idea that I kind of thought of. God never gives just enough grace to get by so you don't fall into hell, does He? He didn't give you enough grace that, by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Did He? How about His mercy? He gives you just enough mercy that what? When God pours His love upon you, does He sprinkle it? You know, like a... You ever seen pepper shakers? Pepper shakers don't give you pepper. I've never seen anything like it. But is that how He gives His love to you? He just... Don't spend that all in one place. When God gives His love to you, how much does He give? Okay. How about he gives all his grace? How about all sufficiency? How about all mercy? How about this thought? 
I am only complete in him. I am lacking nothing pertaining to life and godliness. Okay? God has set a pattern. If it is his pattern, then it would be his will. And if it is his will to give the way he gave, what would his will be for us? Okay? How do I love my neighbor as myself? Let me show you how this works. Okay? The Macedonian churches gave way beyond what they could have ever dreamed of. All right? But they had first done what? Gave themselves to God. Then look at verse 7. All right? Now he brings it back to the church in Corinth. All right? Just as you abound... Now watch this. Grab this because I want you to see this. You abound. When you think of the word abound, what does that mean? I have just enough to abound? If I abound in something, what does that mean? I have a plethora of it. Okay? I have a spiritual dump truck full. When you think of the word abound, do you think of a lot? Actually, I think of way more than a lot. Okay, look what he says to the church in Corinth now. This is what he's writing. But he's saying, here is what happened in the churches of Macedonia. But just as you abound in what? Ooh. Then he starts giving you some stuff to think about. In faith. In utterance. That's to speak it. In knowledge. And in all earnestness. Some of your translations will say diligence. Okay? And in what? In love. Now he makes a statement there. Right after that. Okay, so what does this church lack in? In Corinth. Nothing. They abound. They have way more faith. They have way more utterance. They have way more knowledge. They have way more earnestness or, or uh, diligence. And, and they have way more love than they could ever even dream of consuming. Hardy makes a statement. We inspire in you. You know what that means? It's a Greek little phrase. And it means that I'm poking this so that you do something with it. Okay, stir up the gift that is in you, Timothy. And that's what he's doing here. We inspire in you what? See that you abound. Okay, see that what you have a bunch of that you need to abound in. You need to abound in something. What is it? See to it. What is this gracious work? Giving. It is what? Stephen Olford calls the grace of giving. If God is going to give you all of this, that is the way you should be giving. Chapter 9, verse 6 says this. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Okay, this is we're giving to the Lord and to the church. It's the man of God. And you want to see a blessed church? How would you go about it? Be generous. Be generous. In what? Everything. Generosity should be the mark of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Take it back to the churches in Macedonia. What did they do first? 
gave themselves first. Let me share with you another text. I'm not going to turn to it, but you can go look at it. This will be your homework assignment for next week. Philippians chapter 4. Okay, you have to go look at it. The Philippians sent Paul a lot of money. Okay? And if you read the text, you'll find out the Apostle Paul said, I didn't want the money, nor did he ask for the money, nor did he need the money. You have to see that in the fourth chapter. Okay, in fact, I don't need it. Uh, It's way too much. But then he makes this statement. I am really glad that you gave it. Okay, wait a minute. If you didn't need the money, you didn't ask for the money, it's way more than how he's come here glad. You know why he was glad about it? The text will tell you. It shows the, the mark of their spirituality. Because you have given more than you should, my God will supply all of your needs according to His riches. That's the text. Chapter 4. You guys go look at it. All right. How many of you today believe you struggle with the needs? Making just the necessities. Ask yourself a question. Have you given yourself to the Lord... And then is giving generously a pattern of your life. And if it's not, then I can tell you why. The generosity of the Philippians, the generosity of the Macedonians extended toward the apostle was something. This was, it was so massive, it was very pleasing to God. Why? Without faith, you cannot please God. So they gave on basis of what? Faith. Do I believe? Ask yourself these questions. These are very serious. I had to go through this. This was very tough for me. Do I give the way Christ gave to me? Okay. Then I'll ask you this question. Because see, this is a question that came back to me. All right. When it gets tight... Okay, when my finances get tight, does God do with less or do I do with less? You've got to understand something. You cannot separate the Lord Jesus Christ from the church. It's impossible. You can't separate God from Christ. It's impossible. When it gets tight, who does with less? And yet Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Back to our text in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 12. That was setting up 12, all right? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Okay, the others there would probably be Peter and Apollos, uh, you know, some of the other guys who have come in and teach there, and they had their, their financial needs met, okay? And Paul is asking it, do we not even deserve it more? Why? We've already discussed it. Who was the spiritual father of the church in Corinth? Paul, okay? Then, then I want to drop down to verse 13. Do you not know, okay, that those who perform a sacred service, I'm coming back to 12, Okay, 12 and 15 are the keys to this text. All right, but I'll I'll show you. Do you not know that those who perform a sacred service eat of the food of the temple and those who attend regularly at the altar have their share of the altar? Okay, basically what he's saying there, there's a universal pattern that has existed since God has existed. 
Why? It was God's plan. It's always been God's way. God's priest supported by the priesthood. It goes all the way back to Genesis 32. Genesis 32, you'll find a thing called a burnt offering where they take the stomach and the entrails and the thighs and they burn it up and the hide is saved. Everything is burned up. Okay, the hide is saved. What happens to the hide? It is given to the priest that they may sell it to make money. Okay, there's a sin offering. Only the fat of the animal is burned. And what happens to the rest of it? The priest kept it, the rest of it. There is the trespass offering, same way. There was the meal offering. It says that the flour, the wine, and the oil, and all of that was, part of that was burnt. And what was left over, who kept it? The priest kept it. There was the peace offering. The fat, the entrails were burned, and the priest received the breast on the right shoulder, and the rest goes back to the worshiper. That was the peace offering. In every case of an offering made to God on behalf of another person, the person who was doing the intercession was the priest. He got part of that offering. Okay? It was a job, the priest's job, to take the people to God. You've got to understand that. My responsibility is to draw you to God. Why? You are part of it. Why? I take and pour into you. I am to find trust, faithful people and infuse in them that I have so that they can teach others. And my whole purpose is to take people to Christ. That's it. I'm taking you to Christ. I want you to grow deeper in your trust of Christ. It's literally guide, if you will. Oversee, lead the way. All right? God designed it all the way back in Genesis that He should support His support should come out of his service, his ministry. When you see the word service and you see the word ministry, they're the same. Okay? Did the priest receive the first fruits of all the barley, all of the wheat, all the grapes, all the figs, all the pomegranates, all the olives, and all the honey? First fruits. First harvest came off. Where did it go? To the priest. They had a thing called the tararoma. Okay? One-fiftieth of all crops went to the priest. The kula, all right? Anytime you made dough, I don't care who you were, you made dough, you had to give one twenty-fourth to the priesthood. Unless you were a baker and you made dough all the time, you only had to give a one forty-eighth. Okay? Now, if you don't want to know, if you, do, you think that I'm making this up, well, isn't that the Talmud and the Mishnah? No, that's Deuteronomy 18 and Numbers 18. God says, this is how I will have it done. It will be sustained by the ministry. Okay, verse 13. Those who attend regularly to the altar, those who minister, those who serve the altar, partake of the altar. Simple truth. The Apostle Paul says, you know what? I have the liberty and the freedom to ask for support. Okay, then he's going to give a sixth reason why you need to take care of this. Why we need to be aware of this. We need to pay attention to this. Look at verse 14. So also the Lord directed. Okay, the word directed there in the New American Standard, it's not a good translation. Should be ordained. Okay, it's not optional. This is how God said it will be done. Those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. This verse gets twisted around. I've heard a number of guys twist this around. You preach the gospel, you should live by the gospel. You should live the gospel. I mean, if you're going to preach it, you should look like it. Yeah, duh. Um, That's not the context of our text. Uh, 
you preach the gospel, you receive their living from preaching of the gospel. Support the man of God. Right? This is not human reason the Apostle Paul has moved to. Remember what we looked at? Part of the divisions that they were having in the church was between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. He's basically saying what you would say and what you would call this as man's wisdom. No, this is God's wisdom. Man's just hijacked it. Okay, this is the Word of God. I think he's referring here that God ordained it. The Lord ordained it is back in Matthew 10. Remember when he set the 70 out two by two? How were they? And you, they were to take what with them? Nothing. Nothing. So what you have is the Apostle Paul saying, Beloved Corinthians, I am as free as you ever were. And I have a right to ask you for support. Okay, now I want you to go back to the middle of verse 12. Look what he says. We did not use this right, but we endured all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 15. I have not, or but I have used none of these things. None of these things. I shouldn't muzzle the ox. It's God ordained. It is God's will that this is be done. This is the pattern of humanity, but this is also the pattern of God. He's listed all of these things out on why I should receive money from you. And he says, you know what? I receive none from you. Now, I know that he, he got money from Macedonian churches. Okay, I also understand that he worked. Okay, I also understand this. He was the only one of record who lived his life this way. I can't see it in Peter. I can't see it uh, in any of the other apostles. I can't see it in Luke. Only Paul. And I'll deal with that in the weeks to come, why I believe that was the way Paul did it. Okay? He basically gives you six reasons why he had the right to be supported. And he says, but I took nothing. I never exercised that right. Why? Love for you. Limited the exercise of that freedom, that liberty, that right. And I felt it would be a hindrance. And Paul says, exercising my freedom versus my love, my very life illustrates it as a christian we have rights okay you know what as a christian we have rights that literally can be defended paul's done a phenomenal job defending the fact that you should pray that you should pay the man of god but paul also understood he had a right just as equal to set aside that right and not exercise it One of the things I believe that is hurting the church is what I will give you now. As we live with each other, we don't. We don't. But as the children of God live with each other, we will love each other. And as we love each other, we will serve each other in the church. Not only that, we will impact the world around us. And one of the things that we have to do is recognize there are some things that aren't wrong to do in and of themselves, but they can be offensive and become wrong for us. Ask yourself a question. When you read this text, I mean, most of us are going to get hung up on, well, he's wanting more money and he's, we need to give and this, that, and the other. Absolutely, I agree. 
I agree. What are you stockpiling for? Can't take it with you. And you'll leave it to your heirs so they can fight over it. Brilliant idea. Okay? But the question is that I would ask, what do we do or not do that cause a hindrance to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because that's the issue that's on the table. It's not the giving. It's not the giving. When I see that the churches in Macedonia had an abundance of joy, that just freaks me out. I mean, spiritual reality was so massive to them that they were just just literal basket cases. Sometimes we have to limit our liberty for love's sake. And it's a small price to pay. The joy experienced in loving my brother would be infinitely superior to the joy of exercising my freedom to the harm of my brother. Unquote. That was written by a man that Charles Spurgeon said was the most holy man he ever met in his life. A guy named R.C. Chapman. Interesting quote. The joy experienced in loving my brother would be infinitely superior to the joy of exercising my freedom to the harm of my brother. Unquote. Let's be realistic. If, our, if Charles Spurgeon says you're the most holy man that you ever met, then you got something on your plate. My question. When things get tight, who does with less? You or God? Do you in your life right now have an abundance of joy? And if you don't, then you have not given yourself to the Lord. I'm not talking about salvation here, brothers and sisters. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about it. One of the reasons I believe the Apostle Paul never took money, he was going to the Gentiles. Okay? Where Christ had never been preached. There was no idea what the law is. is uh, multiple gods uh, and all the rest and all kind of weird stuff. And all the priests had always taken advantage of him. And I believe that the reason the Apostle Paul never took money was simple. I'm going to evangelize you. I'm going to give you the gospel, and I need your money. Sounds like TV evangelists, doesn't it? And the Apostle Paul says, no, I won't. He would take money from more mature churches. He would not from infant churches. And I believe that's the biggest reason why you don't see the Apostle Paul. Where was his ministry? He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And that's why I don't believe that the Apostle Paul asked for money. Why? I don't want to do anything to hinder the gospel. So we have to ask ourselves serious questions tonight, right now. When it gets tight, do I do with less or does God do with less? Okay? Do I experience an abundance of joy? Between you and Him. Alright? Let's pray. Father, give you the praise for your word and the amazing things you've shown me in this text. Lord, I just pray that my brothers and sisters rejoice in this. Father, we see, see a picture of ministry, the grace of giving. And that, Father, that spiritual maturity literally gives more. And that, Father, that we would strive for that, that that would be something we would long for.
Father, let our faith grow. Let us understand that you will be our sufficiency in all things. Father, that you will supply all of our needs. Father, let us lean full weight upon these amazing truths. Let us focus to the eternal, not the temporal. And Father, let your glory just shine brighter in our lives. To your praise and to your glory, in Christ's precious name.